Let me say once more, Happy Father's Day to you dads and dad figures, especially the ones with the dark shadows under your eyes. I've noticed that fathers get a bad rap. Plenty of Mother's Day cards talk about the endless work they provide, the service they give, that they should take one day per year off and relax. Cards even come with instructions for how the mothers are to rest. Too many Father's Day cards seem to believe that there are no instructions needed for the fathers to learn how to rest. As though they are well practiced at the art of sleeping on the couch in front of the golf match. If that's you, congratulations on your Sabbath keeping. But there are plenty of you whose Sabbath includes taking the kids to the park on hot Sunday afternoons or bike rides. You who know how to do bath time and laundry. So congratulations to you too. Those bags under your eyes are well earned. I have bags under my eyes today, but for different reasons. I haven't seen my children this weekend until just now, so they aren't the cause for it. I have seen the interstate. I was part of a memorial service for our beloved Wofford chaplain in Spartanburg yesterday morning. Had a wedding in Sumter yesterday afternoon. We went to Sumter for the rehearsal on Friday and then uh, had to get up to Spartanburg to prepare for the service. And somewhere in between all of that, I felt like I had to write an entirely different sermon than the one I was to preach to you today. So I spent a little time Friday night working on that. I had the one that was prepared to go with what Meg read, the gospel lesson about the seeds, but something changed. I heard Attorney General Jeff Sessions use the Bible to defend his practice of separating parents from their children on the southern border. I was already upset about this practice on moral grounds and legal grounds. I didn't like the way perfectly legal requests for asylum were being treated as though they were illegal. Families seeking to escape violence in El Salvador and Honduras are not breaking the law by seeking mercy in a safer country. Too many of them were having their children taken from them as they sought that. Taking those children away is a practice that is widely condemned, condemned by our denomination, condemned by many Christian denominations, condemned by Franklin Graham, who is no liberal, All have called for the practice to end immediately. The American Association of Pediatrics has called for the practice to end immediately, knowing the long-term horrible effects of separating parents from their children. They used a phrase I'd never heard before. Toxic stress. As a father... And as a father who knows other parents who would do anything they could to never lose their children. And as someone who still believes the U.S. should be a country where people can turn when theirs is too violent to keep their children in it. I cannot imagine the horror of my children being taken away from me by people I don't know to a place I could not find for an undefined amount of time. 
This has weighed on many of us. And thankfully, it is being widely condemned. But what forced me to change my sermon for today was hearing Mr. Sessions claim the Bible as justifying the practice. In fact, he didn't limit it to just this topic. He said, I quote, I would cite to you the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained the government for His purposes. As though that justifies the government doing whatever it pleases. After hearing that, I decided it's a good time to look more closely to this passage that he brought up. The verse Mr. Sessions quoted is Romans 13.1, which says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. And if that were all that there is, then you might give Mr. Sessions a point. But there's more. We're going to read the verses that come before and after Romans 13.1 to put this in its context. Beginning with 12.9. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists God, what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For if it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. For the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason you also pay taxes. 
For the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due to them. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the love for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I trust you heard something in that other than just obey the authorities. This is not a call to accept whatever the person in authority decides is right. At times, human authorities will define things differently than we do. Take neighbor. Our highest authority told us a story about neighbors. He expanded the definition much broader than those who live on either side of us. He forced us to think outside of our neighborhood. He told his Jewish audience that there was this man from Samaria, a place they despised, a people they could not stand among them, was the hero, was the neighbor when he took care of the person who had been beaten and left for dead. Those of us who are seeking to live the faith after the manner of Jesus have to wrestle with what that means for us in our time and in our place. And it has never been easy for people of faith to go against the governing authorities. But at times, our ancestors have. Thank God they have. Think of what would have not happened had let every person be subject to the governing authorities been interpreted by Christians across the century as just accept what those in power say is right. South African apartheid would still be alive and well. There would not have been a civil rights movement in our country. There wouldn't have been any resistance to Nazi Germany. There wouldn't have been a revolutionary war. We'd still be in the British Empire. If we're to simply obey the governing authorities, we'd no longer celebrate Daniel who entered the lion's den rather than do as King Darius commanded and worship that king. We wouldn't honor Samuel as we have done today for going against Saul, the king, in selecting David as the new king. St. Peter's strong witness to Jesus would have been silenced had he not replied to the command that he was given to stop talking about Jesus by saying, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The Apostle John wouldn't have spent time on the island of Patmos as a political prisoner. We wouldn't have the book of Revelation, which, trust me, would be a loss. If Jesus thought the Jews should accept whatever the governing authorities said, he would not have found himself being questioned by those authorities after whether, about whether he thought he was the king of the Jews or not. 
That wasn't the kind of question you asked people who were going along to get along. No, Jesus saw the mistreatment that was happening. And he used that as a counterexample for how his people should be. He said, you know that among the Gentiles, those who recognize, they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to become first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to establish a kingdom of love and service, not of domination and power. And he was making such progress that those who were in power feared him. He was seen as a threat because they were not willing to let someone with his message spread it in ways that others would claim it. Had his message been, obey whatever they tell you, he would not have been a threat. I know, Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But he immediately coupled that with, and to God, what is God's. If Caesar wants his coin back, he said, give it to Caesar. It has his face on it. But he can't have you, because you are made in God's image. The Roman officials observed this. They weren't watching Jesus because they were concerned that the Jewish leaders would have a good trial for him. They were watching Jesus because they didn't think he was sufficiently subservient to their authority. From the very start, the Christian tradition has been one of pushing back against those in power who are mistreating the powerless. It's part and parcel to who we are And this idea that whoever is in power must be there by God's will is misleading and dangerous. It's the kind of thing that leads to totalitarianism and authoritarianism. So regardless of who you or I support in politics, we should be very cautious whenever anyone in power uses Romans 13 as a way to justify their decisions. If any part of their defense of their policy is that God made them the authority so the rest of us should accept whatever it is they say and do, every warning flag we have should go up. That is not what Paul meant in Romans 13. It is antithetical to what Jesus taught and practiced, and it is contrary to the principles upon which our nation was founded and that were codified in our Constitution. What St. Paul meant, what he expressed throughout his letter to the Romans, is that our hope is in Jesus, not in earthly authorities. Where they are helping us to be faithful to Him, good. Where they are not, not good. They are to give us guidance in Jesus' direction. But none of them can save us. And since that is the case, 
They are not the standards by which we operate. Civil laws are as good as they go. They seek to protect us from crashing into one another by giving us traffic laws. They give us recourse when someone might steal from us. They help us to reach a common understanding of what is acceptable behavior in our diverse community. But they are not enough to represent Jesus' kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, it's not enough to pray for those who are in need. We're to assist them in meeting their needs. Not harming the strangers among us might be enough to satisfy civil law. But for Jesus' followers, the calling is higher. We're to extend hospitality to them. We're to seek out the lowly. To live peaceably with all as much as we can. This is in Romans. We're to feed our enemies who are hungry. Give them drink. Not contribute to their starvation and their thirst. That's in Romans. The whole law, Paul said, is summarized in one commandment. Just one. And it's the same summary that Jesus gave for the law. Love your neighbors as yourself. Because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, he said, is the fulfilling of the law. That's in Romans. There's room for debate about whatever policies those who are our government leaders put before each other and us as ways to move forward. But there is no room for debate for the Christian about where our primary loyalty lies. We are forever grounded in Jesus Christ. He is the one by which we judge all other rulers all other authorities. And He's the one whose law is always grounded in love.